Well, good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? Nice and wet? How wet is you step on any grass now and it's just soaking wet? It's just like you're not allowed to walk on any grass anywhere. Amen? It's just unbelievable. But my name is Scott, if I've not met you, and I'm the lead pastor here. And as a lead pastor, this week is National Volunteer Appreciation Week. And I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart to everyone who serves this community, serves God's people to show the light of Christ out into the world. You know, we planted this church two years ago and there were people that came and have been serving nearly every service for the last two years. And we are the church today because of those volunteers and the leadership team that come and love every week. So I just want to say thank you so much for the, what, everything that you do from the bottom of my heart. We are the church we are today because of you. And so we are actually still in a series, in week four in a series on the book of 1 John. And the title for today's sermon is We Are Family. You see, the, the book of 1 John, this letter, it's so complex, but it's so simple at the same time. And what John does is he really focuses in on love in this letter. Love for God and love for the people who would actually be reading it, which actually means you and I. In this letter, John is pleading with the children of God to love God and love each other well. And today, we're going to be exploring 1 John 2.28 to 3.18. So if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be going through that portion of Scripture. But there's three things that I want to focus on in this text. And that is that we are the children of God. And then how do we know if we're in the family or not? And then how then should we treat each other now that we know who we really are. So before I get into it, I would love to pray. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for, through the Apostle John, this, this pastoral letter that he writes to the children, to his dear children, the church. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand the truth that we find in your word, God. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach it with grace and with truth. But Lord, in the end, they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I remember it was about oh, 11 or 12 years ago when I first started going to church. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I was going to New Life Rabina. And I walked into New Life Rabina. And when I'd walk in there, I'd look at all the people. There'd be like 500, 600 people going to church, and I'd just be judging people. I'd be like, look at this guy. Look at how he dresses. Uh, I've got nothing in common with him. Look at that person. And I would just be full on judging people. And, and, and I remember just walking in there and thinking, I don't have anything with common with any of these people. I'm not sure if this church thing's going to work. And then I remember looking at one guy, and he looked like a full-on nerd, like this picture on the screen, right? <laughs> And I'm like, if this dude has his pants any higher, he's going to get a rash under his armpits. What the heck? What is the story? It's horrible, right? How I was just judging people. But that was my nature. That was how I just lived life. And I didn't care. I didn't care about people. And then inter interestingly enough, a few weeks later, I got saved. I put my faith and trust in Jesus and things started to shift in my heart. And then there was this church event. I won't say what event it was. There was this church event, and I went along, and you got paired up with someone for like eight hours. Have a guess who I got paired up with. <laughs> Harry Highpants. That's right. I got paired up with him. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is going to be unbelievable. Like, what are we going to talk about? I've got nothing in common with this guy. 
It was so weird, but we spent the whole day together and there was this special bond. There was this thing that we actually had in common with each other that was way deeper than natural things. And I went away from that day and I was just at awe and wonder of God's spirit and his grace that he would set that up for me to make me realize something had shifted in me. There was this new nature, this new love that had been birthed in me, not birthed around natural things like that we have in our natural mind, but based on a deeper truth. What I realized at the end of that day is I was part of a new family. And today we're going to be exploring this new life in Jesus' family through John's letter. And so today I'm simply going to be doing old-fashioned. I'm just going to walk through the text one by one, verse by verse, because I believe there's a natural start, there's a middle, and there's a finish that we can explore. And what the text is doing is John explaining to us that we need to understand something, but not only understand, we need to actually put it into action. So we'll be going through 1 John 2, 28 to 3.18, if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles. He starts off with, Now, dear children, continue in him, so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. He goes, let me start with this, children. He goes, Jesus is coming back. And he could be coming back tomorrow. He could be coming back the day after. We don't know the time nor the hour when Jesus comes. But he says, he's going to come and let us not be ashamed when he does appear. Let us be doing what we're actually called to be good, called to be doing. Let's be found when Jesus comes, not doing other things, going, oh gosh, I was going to do stuff for God later on, and now Jesus turned up and I'm ashamed. But let's be doing what he's called us to do. And John's like, this is why I'm writing this portion of the letter, because Christ is coming back. He says, if you know he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. If he, he says, if you know him, not, not know about him. This know here in the Greek is a deep and know. It's if you actually know him. Do you have relationship with him? If you know that Jesus is king and Lord of lords and king of kings, then you should be doing what is right. If we believe in Jesus and we are born again of him, we should be doing what we're called to do. John's now says, like, sort of, now let me explain to you what I mean by these opening statements, that Jesus is coming again and if we really know him, We'll be doing what is right. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, that what we will be has not been made known. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Do we know what that word lavish means? It means to give, it means to pour out generously, beyond measure. It means to be blessed when we don't even deserve it. Has anyone ever lavished love on you or praise or, or gifts? It feels awkward, right? Because like, you're like, I don't deserve this. This is the love that God has lavished, has poured out on us, that we would be adopted into the family of God, that we would be called children of God, that we would be co-heirs with Christ. Like, just think about that one for a moment. That would just blow your mind, that, that God sees us like he sees his son. That we are perfect and holy in Christ. That we are brothers and sisters with Christ Jesus. That one blows my mind. That's the great love because we actually don't deserve it. We especially don't be, deserve to be called children of God, but that's what God does. He calls us children through Jesus. He continues, he says, But we know that when Christ appears... 
we shall be like him, for we will see him as he really is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. He's saying, here's a hope that we actually look forward to. There's a hope in us that we will be like Jesus. When Jesus returns, we'll see him for who he really is. The holy and righteous Lord of lords and King of kings. We'll see him, but here's the amazing part. We will be like him. We will be free from sin and death at the resurrection. Praise God. Amen. How good would it be when we're free of our own sin? And so John sets this foundation of who we are. We are the blessed children of God. And then he talks about what that should look like in our lives. Verse 4, he says, For everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so we might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. That is Jesus. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues in sin has either seen him or known him. There's that known him again. We know that Jesus came to deal with our sin, right? That Jesus was fully man and fully God, and he lived in his entire life sinless in perfect obedience to the Father. And he went to the cross, and he defeated the curse of sin for us. But Jesus came not only that we'd be forgiven, but that also we would be set free from slavery to sin, like right now. We don't have to be a slave to that anymore. So what does verse 6 mean? Does it mean we're meant to be sinless as Christians? Well, we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks. Like, are we meant to be sinless? No. We're meant to be sinning less, though. We're meant to be being transformed, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. John's saying we actually should have a new nature that's not a slave to sin, but it's a slave to righteousness, where we desire righteousness. It's like a pig. Pigs love filthiness, right? Like, it's their nature, It's their natural impulse. They're born with that. And pigs will just roll around in the mud. They'll get all filthy and dirty. And it doesn't matter if you hose them off. They'll go straight back to the mud. They'll roll in again. They'll eat absolutely anything. They don't care. That's their nature. You can hose it off. You can shampoo the pig. You can put CK1 on it. Make it all smell nice. You can invite it into your house. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to scratch at the doors because that's not its nature. It's going to scratch the doors. It wants to get out and get all muddy again. And this is what we're born into. We're born into the sin nature where we actually are slaves to sin. It encaptivates us. But we have been born again. If we've been born again by the Spirit of God, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says we are a new creation. We're given new desires. We have a new nature. And look, I know this to be true because before I was a Christian, I sought out sin. I loved it. I desired it. It actually felt natural to me to fulfill my, sin, my sinful desires. And it felt unnatural to try, and, to try and not do those things because that was my nature. But then I was born again and I was given this new nature so that now I actually seek righteousness. Now when I sin, I feel convicted because sin is against my new nature. It feels unnatural. But when I go for righteousness, that feels natural to me now. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is the point John is making here. We are now children of God, and if we're truly children of God and part of God's family, we will have a new nature and new desires. If practicing sin feels natural to you, then it's telling us that we're not a child of God. 
But if sin feels unnatural, if you feel dirty, if you feel shameful, if you feel guilty, if it feels yucky inside when you do that stuff, then that is great. Because that means the Spirit of God is living in you, that you are a child of God. It's showing that you actually have a new nature, a new desires in your heart now to be led by the Spirit that lives in you. And this will be manifest in a love for righteousness. And if you're sitting here today and you don't feel bad about your sin or you're, you're caught up in that sin, you recognize you're actually enslaved to it and you want to get out of it, but your natural bent is towards it, I have great news for you. God is wanting to adopt you into the family. He wanted to give you a new nature. He's wanting to give you new desires, a desire for good and mercy and grace and love. God's offering a new beginning, a new start, a new life. Today, you can be born again with a brand new nature set free from the grip and the destruction of sin, and you can become a child of God. Church, we need to be born again. And we are born again with a new nature and a new spirit dwelling in us. In verse 7, he says, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's like pleading with the church. He's saying, children, don't let anyone lead you astray with lies about sin. If anyone teaches you that sin's okay for a Christian, or for anyone for that matter, they're a false teacher. They're actually leading you astray away from the truth. You see, true children, true children of God will teach and disciple others to desire righteousness, to do what is right in every situation. You see, everyone who teaches evil and practices evil is of the devil. People are like, whoa, Scott, pump the brakes. That's a bit heavy. I didn't say it. John said it. <laughs> but here's the thing. What they're talking about in the Bible, in the Bible we see this terminology used all the time. When we're doing evil and we're practicing evil, they say, you're acting like the devil. When we do good, that you're acting like God. We see Jesus say this to Peter. In a moment when Peter's like, no, 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 you're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. Is he saying that Peter is the devil or he's possessed? No, he's saying you're acting like the evil one. You're an adversary. You're trying to stop the work of God. And so when we look at it like that, we think, okay, what am I acting like? Am I acting like Satan or am I acting like my heavenly father? C.S. Lewis says the most dangerous thing you can do is to take any one impulse of your own nature and set it up as a thing you ought to follow at all costs. There's not one of them which will not make us into devils if we set it up as an absolute guide. He's saying, hey, you take your lust and you think that's your guide to life. He goes, that's going to cause you pain. That's going to cause you to act like the devil because the devil just wants to fulfill his own lust, but that's not what the children of God do. Why would Christians want to be acting like the devil in lies and hate and disobedience and lawlessness. Have you ever heard the saying, like, father, like son? So if we're Christians, what should people be saying about us? If we claim him to be our heavenly father, we should be acting like our heavenly father, right? We should be acting in grace and truth and love and righteousness towards each other. The question is, could someone say that about your life if they looked at it? Or would someone say, oh, you're more like the devil because you live in, in pain and suffering and you're hurting others. You're engaging in sinful living. 
John then continues, he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is one of the reasons why Jesus actually came, to destroy the works of the devil. So in the Garden of Eden, we fell under the lies of Satan that we could be like God and sin entered into the world. And Jesus came to destroy the grip of sin on our lives. Not only would we be forgiven, but we wouldn't be slaves to it any longer. And Jesus came to, be, to deal with that sin nature in our lives when we'd be born again. John says, if you're born again of God's seed, which is the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's in you, you can't go on willfully sinning because you'll be convicted by the Spirit. And because you've been born again, born of the Spirit, you will be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus day by day. Sin, therefore, in a Christian, should actually feel unnatural, and we won't go on doing it. So how do we know who is a child of God and who isn't? Well, I love John because he just goes, boom, straight to the point. Verse 10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He says, this is how we know who's part of God's family. Anyone who desires to live a righteous life. And second, anyone who understands that they're now part of a new family that we now have brothers and sisters in the Lord. So in light of the fact that we are born again, we have a new nature, and we have this new desire for righteousness, John is telling us how we're meant to relate to each other as Christians, how we're meant to relate to other Christians. God's kids should love each other. And John loves contrast, right? We've seen this all through this book between darkness and light, and now he uses hate and love says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He goes, hey, this is a message that you've heard from the beginning. Right back, Jesus taught this to me. I'm the Apostle John. I walked with Jesus. Jesus says, you should love one another. They'll know you're my disciples the way you love one another. So the disciples took that message. They put it in the Gospels. They put it in their letters. They taught that to the church. John's like, this is a message you've heard from me from the beginning. This command hasn't changed. We're meant to be loving one another. Don't be like the brothers Cain and Abel. And we find this story in Genesis where Cain murders Abel. They weren't in a loving relationship. They weren't treating each other like they should be. And one murdered the other. He's saying, church, don't be like that. You know what? I think Christians can be like Cain and Abel. They destroy each other with words and actions, and there is so much division in the church and between Christians over the smallest things. And John's saying, that's not okay. We need to be godly brothers and sisters. Correct? Yes, we correct, but we encourage and we support and we show grace and acceptance and we disciple one another in love. He says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that a murderer does not have eternal life residing in him. He starts off with the world will hate us. Why? Because we stand for truth. Because we've passed from death into life. We've been born again with a new nature. A nature that actually desires truth. And the world doesn't want the truth. 
The world wants to make up their own truth to suit their own desires and lusts, like I used to. And as we learned a few weeks ago, light exposes darkness, right? The truth of Jesus exposes the darkness of our hearts and the sin that we love to keep hidden in those dark places and keep to ourselves. And the world will hate us because we're going after truth and righteousness. He goes, don't be surprised. Jesus actually said, if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. And in fact, if the world doesn't hate us, if they don't think we're weird, we have to question if we're really following Jesus in every situation. And if there is hate in our hearts for for Christians we know or the church, then the love of God is not in you. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. Find anywhere in the Bible where it talks about a solo Christian. It talks about the church, the ecclesia, the coming together of God's people. You are the church. This building is not the church. You're the church when you come together. And there's no such thing in the Bible where we go, well, I hate the church and I hate Christians, but I'm a Christian. John would say, look, actually, I don't think the Spirit of God is in you. Does this mean the church and other Christians don't hurt us or are perfect? No. We're woeful. Just ask my team how bad I am. I make mistakes all the time. Ash is like, yep, yep, you do. We're not perfect. The church is not perfect. Christians aren't perfect. But hate, when you hate them, it's like murder. Jesus, when he's on the mount, um, when he's giving the, um, the Beatitudes on the mountain, he, he talks about murder. He says, hey, you've heard it said in Matthew 5 that thou shalt not murder. But I say, if you're angry with a brother or you call him a fool or an idiot, you're in danger of hellfire. He's saying that, that that's like being a murderer. And it's so sad that there is so much hate between Christians, between each other. You know, Facebook, I took Facebook off my phone about a year and a half ago. Because every time I read posts, and these were from Christians, they were just tearing each other apart. They were in the chats, and they're just bit, like just ripping each other apart. And I'm like, what is going on? I literally felt sick in my stomach reading some of the stuff. I'm like, where is the love for one another? There's literally hate just being manifest here. And so I literally just punted Facebook off my phone because I'm like, this is not the church. Does that mean we can't call out what's wrong? No, of course we do. We can call out what's wrong. We can call out like abuses of power, abuses of finances, abuses of people. But that should be done in love, not hate. Like people that hate each other, people hate each other over just just different theological issues. Like does God still heal today or did God create the heavens and the earth in the literal six days? And they'll divide over that and hate each other. I'm like, come on, church. These are not central to the gospel. Why can't we talk about these things? And debate them without hating each other. But John says, if the spirit of God is in you, you'll see past these small failings of people in the church. And you'll actually see to the person of Christ. You see, our faith is not in the church. It's not in the charismatic pastor. It's not in your favorite theologian that you agree with or align with. It's our faith is in Christ and Christ alone. That's who we should put our anchor in. And think about this for a moment. If you think it's okay to hate your brothers and sisters in Jesus because they're not perfect, why do you think God shouldn't hate you? You're not perfect. You don't have perfect theology, nor do I. I definitely don't. But he still loves us, and he still lavishes his love and grace upon us that we would be called children of God. You see, if we can't love our brothers and sisters in Jesus in the family of God, how in the world would we love those that are not Christians? 
How in the world will we love our enemies if we don't even love our own family? John's like, hey, we need to get this straight before we move on. Before we move on to loving our enemies, guys, you're not even loving each other. And this is a sign that we need to be born again. We need to be given a new nature. So what is love? What kind of love is John asking us to share with each other? Well, it's a deep sacrificial love that we only see in the cross of Jesus Christ. He tells us in verse 16, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. This is how we know what love is. Look at the cross. You want to see what sacrificial love is? You just need to look there. You want to see lavish love upon the world? Look there, because we have rejected God. We've gone our own way, but God didn't hate us. He loved us and came in the form of fully man, fully divine, fully God, but lived a life for 30-odd years walking on this earth to prove the character and the nature of God, to prove who he was. And he was willing not just to tell you in words, but to show you in action to the point where he was spat on. He was rejected. He was hated. He was beaten to a pulp and he was nailed to a tree to die the death that we should have died for our sin. But on that tree, he absorbed the debt in the entire world and says, this, this is true love, guys. This is what I'm calling you to. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus receives that adoption, receives that forgiveness. Love was bought at a price that cost Jesus his life, but that gave us access back into the family of God. It gave us access to our adoption through repentance and faith. The only way that we can love one another is by the grace of God. It's the love of God that that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit that actually dwells in us. I can't love the way the Bible commands me in my natural fallen state. I just can't. I need to be born again and given a new heart and a new spirit. And church, that is what we have been given. Dear children, please hear me. You have been given a new heart and a new spirit direct from God so we can live and love supernaturally with compassion and with grace. If only we believe that. If only we believe we actually have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and and surrender to that. So how therefore should we treat each other? He says, and we ought to lay lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with action and truth. He's like, you want to know what I'm calling to you? I'm calling you to a sacrificial love. Look at the life of Jesus. He laid his entire life down in action to show you his love. We should be loving like that. If we would just see other Christians that we know that are just in our sphere as brothers and sisters, we would act accordingly, right? How many of you would not help someone of your blood family? Not many of us. And so this is how we should treat other Christians in our lives. And John says we should love with not only words, but also in action. And true love is sacrificial and in actions, just like Jesus' whole life. And I love how at the end he actually adds truth. He just tags that on the end. Because sometimes truth is correction. Sometimes if you love someone so much, you have to bring correction. You have to have those hard conversations. And if it's done out of love, then the Spirit will be present in that conversation. And it's just like this letter. John is proclaiming 
confronting truths. He loves them so much, he's calling them out of sin, but he does it with a full heart of love for the readers. And here's the truth. We are family, whether you like it or not. C.S. Lewis says, Love is not, affectionate, is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be attained. Like, love doesn't have to be this affectionate feeling like you have for your wife or your husband or your girlfriend. It's not something that we have to feel. It's something that we know. Like, I want the best for you. Do people in your life around you, do they want the best for you, that you would be the best version of who you are in Christ Jesus? That's love. It's wanting the best for others. So this makes me think, in light of all this, how should we think about the church? How should we see what we do here on a Sunday? Well, we should see church as a family gathering, of brothers and sisters coming together to fellowship and worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in love. You know, when we have our Christmas gatherings, you know, when you're at home and you get all your family over for Christmas and they all come over and you're ringing each other up and you're like, cool, what do I bring? I'll bring the salad, you bring the meat. Cool, everyone just jumps in, right? Everyone's part of what's happening. And you get there on the day and everyone's helping out, they're cooking, they're preparing, they're sharing love and grace, is having a good time. The guys are usually out at the barbecue because we don't know how to do anything else and the women do everything else. Um, but they're all coming together, right, and doing stuff together. And at the end of the meal, people just don't get up like you've paid for it and walk out. The family jumps in and cleans up together. Why? Because they share a special bond. And it's not always easy, but when your family comes together, they share life and they share love. Do you see the church gathering like a family gathering or just another consumable, like going to the movies or going to a concert where you just come and consume? Yeah, look, I understand. There's issues in every family, right? I know. I've caused my fair share of them too. But our ex-lead minister, Stu Cameron, I used to love this quote. He used to say it all the time. He says, New Life Church is one big, sometimes dysfunctional family. He's like, hey, we don't always get it right. Like, we mess up. That's just the nature of it. But hey, we are actually family. And here's the thing. You don't abandon family at the first sign of a disagreement or an issue. Why? Because they're family. In church, we have a more special bond we have the spirit of the living God. We're born again by the same spirit. We have the same Lord and the same God and the same Father. We all have the same destination. So we should strive in harmony now because we'll be spending eternity together. And I know that's scary. But we're thinking, I don't want to spend eternity with Scott. He talks too much. Like he just keeps going on and on and on. It's okay. When we see him, I'll be like him. All my sin will be gone. We'll be good. So when we come together, do we have this mindset of a family gathering to come and love and serve and be a family member, to come and contribute to the health and the vitality of the family? You see, this is a different mindset to the consumer mindset that our culture tells us to have. The mindset of I come to get something and give nothing in return. In a family mindset, we come together in the bond of love and sacrifice and service. So what John is expressing here in this portion of text that we've just walked through today, that we've just explored is, John's pleading with the church to recognize that we are children of God. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters if we're part of the family. We now have a new nature. We have new desires for righteousness, not sin. 
And because we've been adopted into this new family, that will be made manifest in the way we treat each other by the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in word, in action, but also in truth. The question is today, do you want adoption into the family of God? Do you want a new nature? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I I don't know this Jesus. I know about him, but I don't know him. And I'm feeling like sin is just something I can't break free from. Jesus came to set us free from sin, from those chains. There is an opportunity today for you to receive and be adopted into the family of God. And if you are a child of God, are you loving the family? Your brothers and sisters in word and action and in truth. The beauty is that we have a family meal, a family gathering every Sunday for you to express that love through service and worship. So what is God calling you into today to express that family love in word and action? My question is, what if we were a church that actually lived this out? What if we were a church that loved each other like genuine family? People would walk through those doors and they would see the kingdom of God in action on earth. Wouldn't that be amazing? So would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come before you and we thank you, God, that your spirit dwells in each and every one of us. The Lord, you have given us a new nature, a new heart, a new desire for righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would help us walk in righteousness. You would help us walk in truth and grace and in love. And in this moment of prayer, Lord, if if you're sitting there and, and you've never accepted the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you've never accepted that forgiveness of sin, that's available today. God is calling you and saying, come home, child. I want to bless you. I want to be with you. I want to give you a new life, a new heart, and a new spirit. I want to spend eternity with you. Come home, child. So if that is anyone in this room, you can just simply put your hands out in front of you on your lap. That just signifies, Lord, I come with nothing. But I accept whatever you're willing to give me. I accept your lavishing love upon me. And you can just pray this prayer in your heart and say, Lord God, I thank you for your great, great love. Lord, forgive me of my sin. And Lord, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me to show me that love. And I thank you that through his resurrection, he had victory over sin and death for me. And I actually accept that, God. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit. I ask for a new heart and new designs. And I just sense, God, there's just some people here that, that we have we have hated. We have been critical. We, we've not walked this out as God calls us to walk it out. And, and I just ask in this moment, would you just repent? Would you turn back to God and just say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't, I haven't shown love. I've actually been part of the problem, not part of the solution. As we read in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I know for myself and I pray for this whole congregation that you would continue to transform us, that you would continue to give us new desires and a new heart and new love for one another, that we would reflect who you really are. Lord, I ask that you bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.